Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. I guess I should have asked you, sir, how you say your name perfectly, but let me try it. DiStefano? That's it. All right, so my guest is Benny DiStefano, former Major League Baseball player with the Pirates and your Houston Astros and a lot of other things. Benny, how are you doing, sir? Good. Doing okay tonight. It's a little chilly here in uh, uh, Houston, about 50 degrees, but thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, I'm I'm glad to have you on, and you're in the car, and it's working out perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, I read on here that you have to have a computer, but you don't have one, So, but it, it's working out good. So let me ask you this. You're the most – this is what stuck out to me that I really wanted to talk about it, uh, this stuff with you because people have asked me questions, and, and I think you were the one that had the answers. But you're the most recent left-handed throwing player to catch in a Major League Baseball game, and that was 1989. And over the last 100 years, uh, Dale Long and Mike Squires in 1980, they're the only two other people right. that I can find. And you did it in 1989. Um, so the first thing I want to ask, and you can go into detail, because people have asked me, and I think you'll know the answer, why are there no left-handed catchers? Uh, I think it's a little bit of a stigma, stigma, but for me, catching, it wasn't the throwing aspect um, of it. You know, I had a strong arm, and sometimes the ball tails, but you can work with that a little bit. But the two things I noticed was, one, you know, a bunt going down down the third base line, you're running towards third base, and then you got to try to stop and then pivot to go to first, and it, it slows you down a little bit. And the other thing was really, really noticeable because my friend clean, Tony Chance cleaned my clock out one time in AAA. I was catching a full game. And uh, plays at the plate, everything is a backhand. And, and um, you know, and then you can't brace yourself. You know, normally you brace yourself with your glove shoulder, but, you know, you're left wide open and then, you know, it becomes very hard. And, you know, to receive the ball, everything's a backhand. But on a positive note, there's a lot more right-handed pitches and the curveball slider, whatever you want to uh, have at the time, uh, you just open your glove instead of, you know, backhanding, you know, trying to slide across the plate or something. Huh. Somebody asked me and, and what I had read is that if you're a young kid that is left-handed and you can throw real hard, the coaches usually make you a pitcher. Uh, that, that's normally correct. <laughs> and also like, uh, like what you said earlier is that, like, at least when I played Little League, I don't even think we had a left-handed kid on the team. But, you know, mm -hmm. like, the guy would be in the way. But I've never seen it. But I, I watched one of the videos of you I, I, I saw on TikTok, and it looked really, really weird. <laughs> it's <laughs> like you're looking in the mirror, and, you know, you're looking at a, um, um, an ambulance, and it's just backwards. <laughs> you know, Did you catch in high school or anything? Is that No. Uh, I'll tell you how it happened in a second. But um, – our number one pick who played in the big leagues, he might still be in big leagues, Dom Smith, uh, probably about six, seven, you know, seven, eight years ago, he, he caught in high school and he was left-handed. Uh, what happened in my situation was um, we were in the airport going from Philadelphia to St. Louis. And, you know, we're in the airport waiting on a flight and we're having to be a guy named Neil Heaton, left-handed pitcher and Ray Miller, the pitching coach. And he says, I wonder why they're not no left-handed catches. So I said, can I do it? He said, I don't see why not. They were sort of setting me up a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, because what happened in 1988, it was September. And then they sent me an instruction league um, to work on it. But in 1989, the owners were, um, you know, a little angry at the players' union, a little pissed. And so they went with a 24-man roster instead of 25-man roster. And they wanted to keep me in the big leagues, my, my left-handed bat. And normally um, the emergency catcher is a middle infielder. And our middle infielder was a small guy, we call him Pac-Man, named Raphael Belliard. <laughs> and, you know, you didn't want to put him back there. He, you know, he was 150 pounds uh, soaking wet. So they sent me an instruction league, and I did a solid job, big league camp. And, you know, next thing I know, I was emergency catcher. And uh, Jim Leland, obviously Hall of Fame now, he didn't, you know, take it lightly. You know, we did, the games I got in were all legit baseball games. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back in time. Um, you went to Alvin Community College. You you grew up in Brooklyn, yeah. right? Is Alvin yeah. Community College over there? Yes. And then I, I read that you were drafted three times. Correct. Did, did you just choose Pittsburgh, or why why were you drafted three times? Well, uh, out of high school, I had the opportunity uh, to sign with Detroit, but it was wasn't for a lot of money, but more as a free agent. You know, they, the scouts liked me, but you know, said you're too slow. This, you know, how that story goes. So I went to Alvin Community Te College in Alvin, Texas, um, Lamar University in Beaumont. The boat's coaches were from Bayside's Queens. Jimmy Gilligan's been with Lamar a long time, and John Gilligan, his brother, was at Alvin. And they used it like a little farm system. So I went there so you can play every day. And back then, they had a January draft. They had a January and June draft. And in the January draft, my... Um, freshman year in college, I was drafted by the Dodgers. And then um, in June, I was drafted by the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, second round. And it was a secondary phase of a draft. With that, they don't have that any longer. What that is, all it is is people that have been drafted before. They're going to a different draft, secondary phase. So I think second round, I'm going to get a lot of money. So they came out to watch me in an ACBL game in uh, New York, College Summer League, and had a good game, hit a home run, played well. And they offered me um, $5,000. And I said, how about 7500 And this is June of 81. And they said, no. So I went back to Alvin and signed with the Pittsburgh in the second round, second phase. And, uh, you know, they offered me 12500 $7,500 uh, uh, incentives, and then $7,500 for my schooling. So I was able to get all, you know, $25,000. And what's funny yeah. is, they said no for $2,500 in June of 81. In May of 84, I'm in the big leagues. So the scouting, you know, they, they go on their gut, what they see, but they don't know someone's hard or they make a lot of mistakes as well. All right, so let's go back. How long were you in the minor leagues? Well, when I got to the big leagues, I was in minor leagues two years and one month. I went oh, to not long. No, and that's, that's sort of hurt me a little bit because I went to the Sally League, low A ball. I skipped high A ball, went to double A, hit 25 home runs, struck out 39 times, had a real good year. And then I went to triple A, the semi big league camp, triple A, and I was in big leagues a month. And then I was in, a, I'm sorry, I was in triple A a month. Then they sent me to the big leagues. And if you're going to take a young player like that, I was 22, you know, you, you want him to go out and play, develop, you know, you know, take the hard knocks and, you know, learn. But the Pirates at that time, uh, they were they were contending for a playoff spot. They were expected to win the NL East. 
So I wasn't going to get a chance to play, and I pinched hit, and I didn't understand it. So I struggled. Then I went back to the minor leagues and pouted a little bit and hurt myself. And then finally I got back to the big leagues, you know, as a good pinch hitter and had a nice career and then all that type of stuff. Yeah, instead of letting you develop, they just had you sitting on the bench, huh? Yes, and, you know, at a young player, you don't understand it. You don't know how to pinch hit. You know, you just don't understand it, the, the, the business side of it. Yeah, you've been playing your whole career, and now you're – you're not getting to play. So I right. read this and I, I hopefully it's true. And a lot of younger people watching this isn't going to know who she is. Morgana. Yeah. So you're in, you're in the first ever triple a all-star game when you're with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And tell me about this, this big kiss. Cause this lady yeah. was popular back in the day. Yes. She was popular during that time. Um, she used that as a mo- her husband used that as a marketing thing. And, you know, I, I started to go, um, you know, fall off the track as a big prospect because you don't understand in 87. Then 88, I I realized I'm going back to the big leagues. No one's stopping me. And I had a great workout winner, go to AAA, have a great year, and then go to AAA All-Star game. And, you know, it was in Buffalo. I was a home guy from New York, so I was a fan favorite. And so I get in the batter's box, and on the mound is a guy named Roy Smith. And we're smiling at each other. And Roy and I played, know each other since we were 14. We were on the same team. So we look at us, smile. All of a sudden, we hit people, um, you know, cheering. And I look to my, down the right field line, and here comes Morgana. Morgana kissed Magic Johnson, Nolan Ryan, people like that. And she's, you know, the people that know her, she, you know, she had a big chest. I mean, big, big chest. Really big chest. Yep. And she comes bouncing down the line, and she gives me a hug and a kiss. And, you know, then we talked and dug out an interview and it was, it was, you look back, it was a great experience. I was very, very fortunate. Yeah. So all that was planned, right? The, the yes. things that were going to happen. Cause, cause I was just, when I was a kid, I thought it was just some lady jumping over the, you know, the fence. And I was like, right. man, how, how did they let that happen? It wouldn't happen these days. No. Well, so they, that, they were in on it. Right. No, the, the general manager set it up. I go find <laughs> out. So, but, but it was that back then it was, it was as a fun thing. It was a marketing thing. It was humorous. There was no sexual harassment. There wasn't none of this political correct stuff. So, but today, oh my God, we're going yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that would happen this, this in, in this day and age. All right. So you already kind of touched on a little bit, but I think it was uh, bad timing for you to get called up, but how did it feel when, you know, they said, Hey, you're going up to the big leagues. We went Edmonton, Canada. And it was the first time the Oilers, Edmonton Oilers, were in the Stanley Cup. And we had a day off. Some of the guys went to the game. We were out, you know, having a couple of beers. And they, um, we had an off day. And my phone rings. They couldn't, normally they get a hold of the manager. And they couldn't get a hold of them. So they called the room. And they said, I'm going to the big leagues. And on the, on the, um, the phone was a guy named Tom Kaiser. We had a, still have a relationship with him. He was like the assistant minor director and um, Harding Peterson, the general manager. And um, Tom tells me I'm going to the big leagues. So, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, I said, no, you know, threw an F-bomb in there. No f and way, you know, don't joke around. And Harding Peterson starts talking. I said, oh, no, I'm not, you know, he's going to demote me already before I got there. <laughs> so I was in uh, uh, Edmonton and I, they said, go to Pittsburgh. And so I get on a plane, I call my parents from the airport. They're excited. And then um, 
what happened was we were playing the Astros. Nolan Ryan was uh, pitching that night. And, you know, I, I didn't get there in time because of flights and how that goes, delays. But, um, you know, I got there middle, the end of the game, middle of the game. And then the next day we were playing the Atlanta Braves. And then I got my first game and got a triple. <laughs> so uh, the thing about Pittsburgh when I was young, I think I'm about 10 years younger than you. I'm 61. I, I, I remember uh, We Are Family, mm-hmm. you know, Dave Parker, uh, Willie Bill Stargell. Madlock, Willie Stargell. I remember all those guys. And the thing, and Kent Tocolvi, I remember that guy. We like we all liked him because he threw sidearm. We thought it was cool. Right. But Jeez. the but the thing that stood out for us as kids uh, was that hat. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to call it. I think someone called it a pillbox hat. But what what do you think about going to a team and having to wear that kind of hat? It it was different. Well, I went to spring training. And a lot of people liked that hat. To me, it looked like a conductor hat. <laughs> but I was I was going through stuff the other day, starting to clean out the attic and stuff, and see my Astro stuff and Pirate stuff. And I still got my ma- rookie Major League hat. So I was looking at it and saying, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, back on that team, Stalger retired the year before. You had uh, Teak, my rookie year, 84, and you had Bill Malak. Bill Malak uh, coming from Canada, used to make carries Don Perrione. Across, you know, coming from Canada to uh, back to the States. So, you know, they took me at their wing and we had a good time. So after uh, your run in Pittsburgh, that's when you ended up going to Houston. How did that come about? What happened was um, I, had a, I had a good year in 89. I hit 247, but I was third in the National League in pinch hitting, pinch hits. And so I was finally getting over that hump to say, I'm a, you know, I'm going to make big leagues a while. And I know my role. I'm successful at it. And then I'm in Venezuela. Terry Collins, who was a coach at the time, um, asked me to come play winner ball. And I said, you know, I bet, you know, it'd be a good time to get some consistent at-bats. So on Defe- December 5th of um, 89, the phone rings. And it's um, um, Larry Doty, general manager. He says, we sold your contract to Japan. I said, huh? So they sold my contract to Japan. I went to Japan for a year. And then I came back. I was in AAA with the um, Baltimore Orioles and had a good year. And then signed as a free agent with Houston, was up most of the year with them. Oh, so it was a free agent type thing. Yes. So you played in Japan and Venezuela? I played four years in Venezuela. Four um, years? Well, yes. I, played, <laughs> wow. I look back and say, what was that? A nut? I played nine years of Winnable. Nine years. That's unheard of. Oh, so it's winter ball in between the seasons. Yes. You know, what about years. Japan? Uh, Japan's winter ball also? No, that's regular summer. Oh, regular, okay. Regular ball. People regular. listening are going to kill me because I don't know anything about this. but That's okay. It's, that's how you learn. <laughs> that is exactly how I learned. So you went to Houston 1992, mm-hmm. and you did something cool there. David Cohn had a no-hitter going in the eighth mm-hmm. inning. Yes, uh, and the pitcher was coming up, and they bring in the pinch hit expert, and you can kind of tell what happened. Well, what happened was I was, I got called up, um, and then the next day we were in Atlanta, and I faced an Alejandro Payne, and I crushed one, just got under it to the wall. I mean, it was got mile high, and mm, so it, it evens out when you get a cheap hit sometimes. So next day we go to New York, and uh, David Cohn's on a mound, and you know David's incredible career. I mean. 
incredible, great picture. And so I get to see my family, my friends, and I'm pinch hitting. And, you know, David knows a little bit about me. And, you know, these teams know you, the scouting reports, all that type of stuff. So we had 2-0 and on me. And I'm excited. And I said, okay, throw this thing. Come on, throw that fastball right down the middle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee off on it. I'm going to hit a double to right center and hopefully get it up out of here. And what does David Cohn do? Throws a 2-0 split. And, you know, thing goes down and, you know, it's off speed. And I swing out of my ass. I mean, I leave my shoes and I hit a scribbler about 30 feet down the right, down the third baseline, fair by about a foot, just going, one of those. And that's how I broke up as a um, no-hitter. Wow. What do you think about people breaking up a no-hitter with a bunt? I saw a video about that. I, I don't like it. I think, yeah. you know, I think there's an etiquette in the game. And, you know, it, you know, I love the idea of bunting. One time, you know, Mickey Mantle bunted 26 times in a year. I mean, he could do it all, but you know, it, you know, don't break it up that way. You know, to you know, earn earn it. Not that bunting is a bad thing. You still have to earn it, but earn it. You know, to do a legit way. And for for me, not everyone yeah. thinks. I think so. that way, and it was in the eighth inning, so that was right. pretty cool. Yes, how did, how did you feel like when you when you went up to bat and you know, like this guy's throwing a no hitter? And I have mm-hmm. a chance to like break it up. Is that like a, like a pretty cool thing to do as a player? You, you, I didn't think about it back then. Oh no! I just got up there. My I was focused and everything, and um, it, you know, I just didn't think about a no hit until I was on first, and I realized what happened. Oh okay. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. So you played 52 games with the Astros that year, 60 at-bats, and you had 14 hits, and you said you were slow. Right, you said you're too slow. Uh, well, no, no, I was talking in high school. The scouts, the scouts look for this, oh, perfect, okay. this perfect player, and it doesn't exist. There's not too many Barry Bonds out there, and so, you know, you know, they said it was a little slow, but you know, I was below average runner. I mean, I slow started, but once I got going, I was an almost an average runner. Because the the thing that stuck out to me in uh, is, is that you had two triples, right. And to me, that's was, like the hard, that's the hardest hit to get, isn't it? I had in a month one year, and I had like, my minor league career, like my career, had like fifty-two triples. Wow! I, I was a I was a good base runner. I was aggressive base runner, and you know you you know it, it's you gotta have instincts. And I had good instincts, and you know I did have two triples, and you know in the big leagues, but. You know, I had you know I was able to run the bases and hit the ball down the line, right? And it gets caught down there. So, what know. year did you stop playing Major League Baseball? My last year in the big leagues was 1992, and then I signed as a free agent with the Texas Rangers, like on the first day. And I shouldn't have signed with the Texas Rangers. Bad move on my part. My friend was coaching in the system in the minor leagues. The reason why it wasn't a good move is I had value as a left-handed pinch hitter, and in that American League, they don't have pinch hitting, mm. so it hurt. So that wasn't the smartest move at the time. 
So when did you get into coaching? I was out of the game for 12 years. Out of it wow. for 12 years. Never thought of gotten getting back in the game. What did you do for 12 years? Worked. A friend of mine, Bob Eskimani, who played 10 years in the big leagues, worked at a beer distributorship, did baseball lessons. And I stayed in contact with a friend of mine. And he said, you know, you want to get back in the game? And I said, no. And my son was 12. And, you know, so I showed my son the email. I was bragging a little bit. Look, my friend wants me to get back in the game. What do you think? And he has a strong faith. He turns around and says, do it. He says, all I need is God, food, and water. And I'm like, scratching my head. He's 12 years old. <laughs> and, um, you know, I thought about it. If that's what he wants. And he was homeschooled through, through high school. Mm-hmm. And my wife said, do it if that's what you really want. My sister died like seven, eight months early at 55 years old. And I said, what am, you know, I was 44. What am I going to do the next third of my life? And I want, you know, I'm going to do what I want. I want to have some fun. So I got back in coaching. And one of the reasons why I was able to do it, Ben was homeschooled. So he's able to come on the road a lot with me, you know, say three, four months out of the year. So that's what made it possible. Otherwise, you know, you have your own kid. It, it um, you know, it's special. And, you know, it's not worth the traveling for me. And that's what I feel sorry for a lot of coaches in the minor leagues. They're making a little bit of money, but they got a two, three-year-old kid, and they're gone from six months at a time. And for me, it's not worth it to watch them grow and be part of their life. But you got to spend a lot of time with them. Yes. And it was fun in a clubhouse, on a baseball setting, this, that. And we had a great time. Road so trips. you were uh, a hitting instructor, a bench coach, and also uh, a Outfield. roving instructor. Is that yes. right? That right? Roving outfield instructor. Yeah. What they that does, you know, you got a hitting instructor throughout the minor leagues. You got a hitting coach at each level. And then you got a hitting coordinator. He's over all the minor leagues. So he goes around three, four days at this one station, this this team, double A, triple A, A ball, rookie league. And that's what I would do. And I would work with the outfielders. And then the uh, hitting coach normally double duty. So I would make sure he's doing the routine I, I would recommend and, you know, all that type of stuff. So you're on the road probably two, two and a half weeks at a time. Then you take four or five days off and go home. You know, it was, it was a great job. I also saw something where when you're coaching, I mean, you're still with the Mets, but uh, you were there when Tim Tebow, Tim yes. Tebow mania was there. What was it like when yes. that guy was there? And if you well, can talk a little bit about him, because he seems like a really nice guy. Great guy. But basically I was just, you know, one of his direct bosses because I was over the outfielders and he was, um, um, you know, he was an outfielder. So I was a supervisor. So I was close with him, had a good relationship. I just wish they would have done some things different with him. Because obviously it's Tim Tebow. You don't want to eat the Brody Man Wagon, the general manager. That was his boy. So the hitting coaches, you, you don't want to tamper too much because you don't want to get in trouble. But Tim had a good eye. Obviously, he built like a, a, a wall. And he had power. And he had a good eye at his own. I feel for me personally, because let me back up, everything about six, seven years ago was launch angle, launch angle. And that's hurt a lot of players swing up, swing up, swing up. And these guys in, you know, major leagues, they're a little different animals. They're, they're great talent and they understand what they're doing and just stay through the ball. The ball will go up. Well, Tim came into the game 
and he swung up. He hired a hitting coach back home, and everything was swing up, swing up. So we, he didn't have success as a hitter. I just feel personally, if he would learn to stay through the ball, down through whatever you want to say it, he, he would have been a lot more successful and had a chance of getting to get into the big leagues. It just he fell behind, and after a couple of years, he tried to make adjustments, but it was too late by then. So you didn't think the the big boss wanted you to mess with him? Not me. I was an outfield coach, but I think the hitting. Oh, the hitting coach. Yeah, yeah. Hitting coaches, you got to be very delicate. You know, there's a Heisman Trophy winner, NFL player, um, very determined mentally, and so you got to be delicate how it's being done. He's got his own hitting coach, so he's sort of hands off to a certain degree, and you know, he, he ran the show the way he wanted to do it. You talked earlier about Ben, and that's your son, the one that mm-hmm. was uh, homeschooled, and he actually got drafted by the Mets. Yes. Uh, ben was a good player. Big kid, not a good runner, but six forward, switch hitter. But he, his strength was um, um, hitting from the left side. And what happened was his, um, you know, the Angel liked him a lot, and he was going to go to fifth to tenth round, twelfth round. Anyway, third, third um, game of his high school season, um, hits a slow roller towards first. Everyone charges. Instead of the pitcher covering it and staying inside the line, second baseman cuts across and, and clips him, and he tears his ACL. So, um, you know, they still drafted him and, you know, said you're not going to sign. Um, you know, it's not the right situation right now. And um, uh, what happened was then he went to college and, you know, tried to come back too quick and got hurt. Again, hurt his arm. You know, you put that knee brace on, you just throw mechanics, get off a little bit, and that's what happened. So you're you're doing, uh, you're actually coming from there now, right? You do like a youth camp. Uh, I I do I do a youth- Christmas camp out here, but I do baseball lessons, and you know that's that's all I do, and you know just relaxing, enjoying life, and just being very very fortunate for doing something I love at 61 years old, being on a baseball field with kids. I mean, I'm, I'm kids with the jokes, but you know, I so have you, a you do a Christmas camp, right? Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing that? A long time, right? Yes, this is year nineteen. Year Either 19. we do it a couple of days before Christmas this year, the way the um the the it falls, we'll do it to twenty six, twenty seventh. I'm gonna get oh. sixty seven kids. Cool. So let me ask you this. I wrote it down, but I forgot to ask you earlier. Uh, You know how I mentioned that it seems awkward for a left-hander to like throw somebody out at second. Mm -hmm. I had read something about you throw it and it's going to be like a curveball. Did anyone try to steal on you when you're catching? Because you didn't catch that much, right? It was just no. It was it was an emergency situation. Well, instructional league, um, an instructional league. Someone tried to steal on me. I threw him out. And it was a quick runner. I had a real strong arm, and you know, I, had, I was a good athlete. And I had a guy named Joe Lynette. They sent me instruction for a month just to learn how to catch. But then, uh, um, in the big leagues, we played in the Atlanta Braves, and Oda B. McDowell stole on me second base. And it was it was a close play, and you know, it was. A, I'm very pleased with the, what, the way I handled it because it was a pitch low and low and to my backhand low to my arm side and I just had to reach across my body and come up and throw and I made a good play out of it. And it was, you know, Odeby was a real good run and it was a bang bang safe call. Yeah. So 
what I really enjoy, like talking to, uh, you know, players that played in the eighties or whatever is, is how amazing it is that you guys remember everything. What do you mean? You remember everything. Like I, I wrote down that Odie McDowell tried to steal on you and you remember, and you remember where the ball was and like, Y'all, y'all can just tell stories and you just remember everything. I think it's pretty from, awesome. from that era. You find out a lot from the older players that that played back then. Well, I mean the ones that I talked to. Right, the ones that they do the same thing I'm doing. Hmm. Yeah, they just yeah they remember everything. It's just pretty amazing. That was 1989. Yes, 35, 36 years ago. That, I'm like you remember? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Huh? Where'd it go? <laughs> I was a senior in high school in 1989. Thank you, thank you for making me feel good. <laughs> Show my age. Yeah. What was I, 26 at the time? Yeah, 26, 26 28, something like that. You're still a young man. Uh, young at well, heart. Do you, have any, do you have anything you want to add or say no, or anything? Just, the floor is yours. Just, or do you have anything you want to say? Just, uh, you know, people out there that are watching this, you know, enjoy baseball, enjoy life, and make sure you laugh because time goes pretty quick. So I'm on the ball field every day with these kids, a couple hours, and I tell you what. The, the game's changed where you can't have fun in the clubhouse. You can't joke. Everything, you know, the, these people that, they, these interns that got moved up in the position and Harvard and Yale, all that type of stuff, they took the fun out of the game as far as the jokes, the laughter, the enjoyment. And really? back in the day, you, you could joke, you could have fun. And so I'm from that era, and I have a playful personality. And... You know, I, I joke with the kids all the time, constantly. I'm worse than them. Yeah. So. Things have changed. Yes. And I agree with this, what you just said. And to me, the older you get, the faster it goes. Yes, it's like a time time, <laughs> time things. The same. Yeah. yeah, it's like uh, almost 2024, and I just barely got used to putting 23 on paperwork. You're right. I remember when I was... 18, 17, talking to my friends. I remember it was like yesterday. And I was thinking, 2020, I'll be almost 60, um, you know, years old. That, that, that time's never coming. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> coming past. Well, let me ask you this. I just thought of something. Do you remember, like, uh, anything about some of the guys you hit against, like some famous guys like Nolan Ryan? Yes. Like. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like some stories about that, like what was going through your head I, or at bats or whatever. I faced Nolan Ryan a simulated game in 1993, and I hit a home run off him to right center. Obviously, you don't you don't show him up at all because otherwise he's going to drill you. He's from that school, but <laughs> that's something I remember. I remember um, in 19 was it 86 or 84? I'm going to say 86. Steve Collin was. Uh, pitching through me a curveball. I hit a home run to straightaway center. Um, Charlie hit a home run of Charlie Lee, and he was a Cy Young Award winner one uh, one year. And I hit my first major league homer against a guy named Larry Anderson. Played 15 years in the big leagues. All he throws slider, slider, slider. Good pitcher. Was that the Larry Anderson that the Astros traded for Jeff Bagwell? Yep, that's the one. <laughs> Worst trade ever. Yep. And then I uh, hit, hit a couple of home runs off Mike Bilecki, who we were teammates for four or five years in Pittsburgh, and Jose De Leon, same thing. Yeah. Against Lewis. So, yeah, I remember, you know, you remember a lot of things. I didn't remember if you asked me to tell it, but you asked the question, and all of a sudden you, you, you recall, start recalling things. Yeah. Were you ever on a team that made the playoffs? Uh, no, we, we were expected to win the division in 1989. 
It was harder back then. What, what do you mean? Oh, yes. To make the playoffs because oh, yes. now there's like 12 teams that make it. Back yes. then it was four, right? Yes, all about the money. But back then it was four, you know, just the winner of each division. And we were expected to win division, but um, three, four, five key plays went down. Uh, Jim got the closer. Uh, Sid Bream went down for a long time. Andy Van Slyke pulled his rib cage, and you know several others. Michael Levaye, you know, it was just, you know, a lot of them. You're just so, reading off all these baseball cards that I had. I, <laughs> I'm going to look through my cards and see if I have one of yours. Hey, hold on to it. It's not worth anything. <laughs> I'm joking. I like to play around. Yeah, I do too. I always get in trouble for it, but anyway. Yes. All right, Benny, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day. I know you're driving and you stopped just for this. So I really appreciate you coming on. And I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it, too. If you ever need anything, don't hesitate to, to let me know. And you you have my number? Uh, no, you didn't give it to me. Friend, friend uh, well, if I do it on here, the whole world to have. 281. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it. I don't <laughs> care. 281. Yeah. 723-4806. All right, there you go. Maybe one of these All guys right. is tested me and have a good time. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Astros okay. Baseball. Don't forget to send me the link so I can send it to someone. Will do. Thank you. Bye-bye.